Hello and welcome back to Restoral Planet Podcast with me, your host, Jack Cole. So today I'm joined by Andy Lester, once again from A. Russia, who's going to be telling us a little about our reports um, that he's been supporting. So first of all, Andy, welcome. And start Thanks, by telling Jack, us, yeah, welcome back. So first by telling us a little bit about yourself, your background, and then we can move on to the report itself. Cheers, Jack. Well, many, many of your uh, listeners will be aware of me already. So I'm the head of conservation for the Christian Environment Charity of Russia, UK. Um, and married to a South African with four boys. Um, my day job is uh, effectively head of science for the organisation, head of head of projects. Um, but then in the spare time I have, I like bodyboarding and kickboxing and uh, scrambling and barefoot hill running and all sorts of weird and wonderful hobbies and outdoor interests. So uh, I wouldn't say I'm any good at any of them, but I enjoy just being outside and having an adventure. Yes. So tell us about the report. Um, what is it? Who authored it? And why has it come out now? Yeah, thanks, Jack. So we're talking today about the State of Nature report. And every four years, um, we get a, a new report out. It's commissioned by a, a collection of over 60 organisations working in collaboration very much headed by some of the big players, such as the RSPB. And the aim is to produce a report that covers off biodiversity in the UK. So we know what is happening to our birds, our insects, our mammals, our reptiles, our invertebrates, and so on. So we get get a collective picture of, of nature in Britain. Uh, but it also includes the overseas territories. Um, so that's where some of the richest nature and wildlife is and we get a bit of a snapshot of what's happening there as well so the last one was in 2019 we were due for a new one this year and it, it came out a couple of weeks ago okay so what are some of the findings i mean it's been a fairly uh horrific report and again i'm sure many of your listeners will be thinking oh gosh more environmental bad news and i think before we talk a bit later about what does it mean and what can we do recognizing what we're up against is not a bad thing at all uh, and so the the headline figure was that nearly one in six species in the uk are threatened uh, that effectively means that they are in significant and substantial decline largely as a result of our actions and that if that decline is not arrested we will lose quite a lot of those species as a result within the country now at one level there's an argument for saying well that's sad but why is it important for us and it's important for us at a huge range of levels right from the food that we are eating because you know to eat our food we need pollinating insects insects have declined by well over 20% nationally since the 1970s. We're, we're losing a lot of insect species. We lose our pollinators. We lose a substantial part of our ability to feed our nation. But the clean water, of course, matters as well to us. That is where we, we can drink from. Um, but more widely, nature has a value in its own right. Uh, and if you start to impact at one end, of wildlife as with the smallest life the invertebrates ultimately it has a profound impact on our mammals and birds uh, and other species too so the impacts will have big impacts on us as well as 
wider nature. So state of nature has also indicated that there are some areas where the decline is really rapid. Farmland and garden birds declining by over 50% since the 1970s. But not only in terms of the number of species, but the abundance. So, you know, for every 10 starlings that you'd have seen back in the 1970s, you'll be seeing three, maybe four now. So with a lot of species, they've halved in their abundance or more uh, in many people's lifetimes. And that's catastrophic. So the, the challenge of the report is not just to present a picture of the trend, but then also, well, what what is that? What are the implications of that? And how do we need to respond? On a more positive note, and it, it's uh, it's only a small anecdote, but it's it's well worth noting. The report also indicates that as a result of climate change, we're getting new species arriving all the time in the UK, uh, and so species that were once rare, like cattle egrets, and still quite rare, like bee eaters, night herons, black winged stilts. A number of new butterfly species as well, like the, the long-tailed blue. We are seeing more and more exotics arriving on our shores, and that's largely because they're being pushed north because of drought and heat. But as they're arriving, they're thinking, actually, UK is not quite as bad as we thought it was. Uh, so new species are setting up home, as well as the fact that we're losing a lot of the more northern and upland specialty species which are retreating faster than any other groups what are the biggest drivers behind this uh, loss so as always with any report it's hard to single out one single issue and saying that's it that is the root cause because the trends have been going on for a generation and certainly in the early reports the strong indicator was that intensive farming and overdevelopment of housing were two significant factors along with water pollution but the, the new kid on the block is climate change when the 2019 report came out it indicated that species were beginning to change their ranges and population as a result of climate change with the 2023 report the link is unequivocal and so as the figures around global warming and heating start to accelerate away so it has a profound impact on our ability of birds and mammals to move, to migrate, to relocate. To give you one example, um, and that's a little tiny bird called snow bunting. Snow bunting is a, it's a rare breeding species. It's a, it's a, it's a sort of semi-alpine species. It likes the high mountain tops in Scotland. Uh, and it is by and large a bird that is black and black and white uh, in, in summer months. Why is it black and white? Because there's still patches of snow and there's rock. So it blends in. So predators uh, such as golden eagle and foxes and uh, other birds of prey can't see them. They can hide. But there's no summer snow now in the Scottish Highlands. It's gone. And as a result, the snow bunting stands out on the mountainside. It's, uh, it, it's almost got a sign above its head saying, come and eat me. And this is a great example of where ev evolutionary processes have developed a range of alpine species right around the globe that are adapted to an environment in which there's snow and rock. Remove one of those factors and they are they stand out and they become easy prey. So just one example of one species which is rapidly in decline 
And one of those reasons is almost certainly because of the impacts and the rapid impacts of climate change, which means the species doesn't have a, an opportunity in time to adapt. Um, so is there hope? And if there is, uh, what can we do? So is there hope? I think, I think it's worth stepping back and saying that to anyone listening to this, the starting point of hope is lament. It is absolutely recognizing the depth of the crisis that we are in. So we are facing an extinction level event, not just for nature, but unless we change our ways for at least a section of humanity, we are likely to find that over 1 billion people are on the move as a result of climate change, well within our lifetimes, at least one eighth of the world population. Where will they go? Question mark. UNICEF supplied some new figures this week. And the figures said that 20,000 children every single day in 44 countries are being displaced as a result of climate change. That's catastrophic, but it's only the tip of the iceberg. Now, why am I reinforcing the struggle? It's because I don't think we've yet fully grasped just how severe the crisis is we're facing. There are no more significant and substantial crises that the next generation will ever face. And it will be in some parts of the world, a battle for survival. And so making glib responses about what does hope look like has to be made on the back of the reality of the complexity and the accelerating challenge climate change represents. So from that point, there are three ways of approaching hope. The first is to say everything is so huge and so seemingly impossible to access. I need to be able to have hope at a really local level. I need to be able to have hope in what I'm doing to make a difference. And some of you may remember when I spoke last time, I talked a little bit about a story about uh, one family in a council house who planted a tomato, a tomato plant, and then are now planting lots of tomato plants. Um, and there's something very beautiful about starting incredibly small and saying, I may not be able to do much, but what I can do, I will do really well. So the start is to ask everybody the question, if you could do one thing really well in 2023, 2024, what would it be? What's the thing that you would most like to change? Now, for me, I've got the opportunity or have had the opportunity of speaking, talking, doing practical projects around the country for the last 20 years on nature conservation. But I suddenly was aware that I'm feeling increasingly desperate about the state. And so over the last three years, I've been plotting and planning with my parents, my sons, my wife, and with a work colleague to sell everything that we have, put all the money together and buy a farm in which we can then both feed local people who are struggling to eat, but create a reconnected nature project 
so that nature wildlife has a place to go as the climate changes and where we're also addressing mental health issues which is my wife's specialism so that we've done that we've bought the farm we're in the process of demolishing and rebuilding a barn and soon to sort out solar power and various other things and then we start the project properly early next year why am I saying it is because we've got that opportunity and we've taken the risk and I wake up in the morning thinking, what the heck am I doing? I'm not a farmer. I don't have the skill set. I'm working with somebody who has skills that I don't have and my wife has others. It's great. But then it's all about being community, isn't it? So starting locally means being radical. What's the best thing that you can do in the next year? Can you sell everything you've got and buy a farm? Can you sell some of what you've got and buy a strip of land? Can you work with your neighbours in your street and turn some of your gardens into amazing spaces for pollinating insects or for food growing? Can you switch your car over so that you're doing pool cars with a number of local people rather than owning your own but making those pool cars electric? Can you do something in your workplace that means you have meat-free lunches together? Can you avoid for, for the rest of the year not buying anything that's wrapped in single-use plastic? They may all be to seemingly tokenism, and in the context of what we've been seeing in the Middle East uh, this week, it's easy to go, well, that's, that's not going to give, that's not enough. No, it isn't enough, but it's a starting point. The second, second point, Jack, I think is about campaigning uh, for change. And so there are a number of campaigns out there, but one of the campaigns out there, um, which is looking around changing nature by 2030 so that biodiversity is far better protected, is to make green spaces, nature spaces, a human right so that actually it's a human right to have access to nature. It's a human right not to be impacted by pollution. Uh, and so writing to your MP and saying, in the next parliamentary term, we want protecting nature to be seen as an unalienable human right in its own right. But where we're also saying to the government that we want to see at least 30% of all our lakes, our rivers, our streams, our land, our woods, our forests, our beaches, fully protected and restored so that they are nature rich and for nature and for future generations. Uh, and finally, for us, uh, uh, Jack, I mean, you won't mind me saying this, but as a Christian organization, we do very much believe in the power of prayer. And so when you can't do anything else, getting down on your knees and praying for change may seem a an opt-out and it is an opt-out if you don't back it with action but prayer moves mountains and that has always been my experience don't always get what you ask for but prayer is a powerful tool and a powerful weapon uh, and the more desperate things get uh, the more we're finding many people are turning to prayer who haven't done before right of course and you mentioned that the government's commitments to have 30% of land protected by 2030. What are some of the, um, what is the strategy or some of the policies um, to actually bring this about on a more kind of practical level? 
So there are a number of uh, initiatives going on around the country. The first is that amongst the key conservation organisations, they are all working and walking with that same voice, being able to share together that in order to reach that 30% target, we need to encourage all our supporters and all our members to be on song with that and actually singing from the same hymn sheet. And so all the initiatives that are taking place are generally ones which involve a lot of joined up thinking between the different agencies saying let's work on this and let's work on it together. One of the big pushes has been around the house building housing development arena uh, and encouraging them to work towards a sort of 30 by 30 target so that on their land there is what they what's classified as biodiversity net gain in other words a house builder is expected to improve biodiversity on the level that it was at when they first put the houses in and the 30 percent target is one that all house builders are being encouraged to aim for now as is often the case we we have a government at the moment who thoroughly enjoy watching down environmental targets. Uh, but there is an election next year uh, and there is every expectation and belief that the 2030, 30 by 30 target can still be reached. And uh, clearly there's a number of very significant campaigns around that, which will help to drive that message home. All right. Um, so you mentioned a couple of questions back, the, uh, yeah, you know, a few species that have been under threat. How does this um, tie into sort of things like food security, um, other forms of well, just keeping a safe society going? What are some of the ways that we can then tackle that by sort of um, bringing back, as you've mentioned, you know, working with neighbours. You've obviously got buying plots of land. What are some of the ways that we could be a little bit more targeted with some of these species within that time frame? Because of course, it's twenty one thirty. You mentioned that some species are down 50%, 60%. What are some of the things that be a little bit more practical, targeted, and within that time frame regarding sort of policies that could be uh, brought in? So and I think not only have we got the 30 by 30 campaign and a lot of campaigns coming off the back of that, new ones this year, but also net zero is a, is a big target. Um, Many organizations are working towards net zero by 2050, which in our opinion is too little too late. You know, we need to be working at that much quicker. Um, but uh, you mentioned you mentioned food security, and I think this is really key. We are looking at the moment at 2023 being by far the warmest year and probably the wettest in some places on record. Uh, as we sit here today, the temperature, the threshold that we are trying to keep temperatures under, which is 1.5 Celsius, have been exceeded on precisely 86 days of the year. By the end of the year, we think that will be nearly 100. That means roughly one third-ish of the year has been over the target temperature that we need to stay under. Next year is going to be significantly worse than that. And that's partly because of El Nino, you know, the cyclical climate effect, but it is exacerbated tenfold by the impacts of climate change. And for food security in the UK, it means it's harder to know when to plant. It's harder to know when to harvest. 
it's harder to know what to grow and it's harder to know where to grow. Those are the four factors that the farming community are now facing. And it's not just a case of we need to change when we start sowing or we need to change when we start harvesting because no two years are now the same. British years used to be quite predictable. Uh, they are now not. We used to have four seasons. We now don't. We have three at best. So the main change has been that we're getting much hotter summers with temperatures more equivalent to North Africa or the Mediterranean in many areas. We're getting extreme rainfall events at times of the year when you least need it. We're getting frosts that are not routinely happening in December, January, but might suddenly spark off in the middle of April or at the beginning of October. And so it's, it's basically unpredictable. So that means that the farming and conservation community share the same dilemma of if we're going to protect nature and we're going to protect our food resources, how on earth do we adapt? And that means really five things. It means number one, new species. Uh, being ready to bring in new tropical varieties, new drought resistant varieties, new rain resistant varieties. Number two, it means uh, protecting landscape by letting letting grass or, for example, hay meadows grow longer or creating more shelter belts and more hedgerows because we've got hedges where you've got long grass, we've got trees, you drop the temperature at the ground level. That helps to protect soils. The third is to restore our uplands by creating uh, new woodlands, protect our peatlands, um, change the way we manage our uplands. That will also help to create and develop food security. The fourth is to act to protect our rivers from, from pollution, sewage and soil runoff from extreme rainfall events. Again, that has a huge impact on our ability to grow food if our topsoil is being lost. The fifth one is an odd one to say, and that is recognize together that we don't have all the answers, but where we do have unbelievably creative minds. If we go back to the days of Charles Darwin's dad, so quite a while back, Rasmus Darwin. Rasmus Darwin was responsible for developing some of the beginnings of the theories of evolution before Charles was even on the scene. And one of the things he delighted in was a round table in which he got theologians, Christian leaders, secular leaders, thinkers, scientists, mathematicians, uh, government ministers together in a closed space, but with a round table where there were no corners, there were no leaders to dream up what could be possible for the future. And we need those dreamers and thinkers, those creative minds, not necessarily big personalities who've written 10 books or great, great people who everybody knows, but some who may be quite unassuming characters and yet have extraordinary creativity for the season that's ahead. So I think for those listening, far more important than the campaigns or appeals, far more important than the individual actions, is answering the question, do I have, am I a creative person? Do I have imagination and creativity? Can I feed in to the solutions in this season? Because if you are, we want to know about you. You know, if you are excited by being a mover and a shaker for this generation, 
we want to know about you because those are the people we really want to journey with people who are really prepared to shape the political scene to shape the conservation world to shape the farming community out of apathy and out of a space which says this is the way we've always done it so we're going to carry on doing it the season for conferences and talking blogs and podcasts meetings and articles and the latest book on what happens if we don't change the world now honestly i'm sick and tired of it we've got to act we've got to act at scale and we've got to act creatively be bold be uncomfortable in it and be ready to walk shoulder to shoulder with some of the people we least maybe want to associate with because that's how we're going to change the world I always like to end on a point of hope um but before that <laughs> um <laughs> so things you mentioned that you know an eighth of the global population um, could be on the move um we've obviously fantastic ideas creative people but there is a point whereby you know northern europe we're a little island do we have the capacity um and things could get you know really quite dark but i'm just curious how as a christian um so you mentioned also you know the uh, hope starts with lament but going forward um risk of using a you know the word apocalyptic but apocalyptic uh, scenes that we could be sort of facing um how do we how might we prepare for that how might we deal with that so i think i think there's two questions there and one which is how do we prepare for what's tough um and then what on earth does hope look like in that in that context mm -hmm. um Many of you will not be familiar with the New Testament and the stories in the New Testament, but I want to share one very simple story, which hopefully will answer the whole question. Um, so in John's Gospel, so one of the Gospels, at the end, towards the end of the New Testament, uh, John chapter 21, uh, Jesus has died and um, has appeared a couple of times to his disciples after his resurrection they're still very confused about how he's alive and whether he's alive and questioning and challenging and feeling generally depressed anyway about life and they've gone out to catch fish because a lot of them are fishermen and that's what they do but they do it not because it's a hobby or it's fun it's because it's a survival thing so these six disciples are out on the sea of galilee uh casting their nets over the boat uh probably feeling pretty gloomy and they keep putting their nets in and they keep catching absolutely nothing. Uh, and if you're a fisherman and that's your career, that's damn depressing, both because you can't feed your family and B, you're not getting any income. And they're clearly just about to be on the point of giving up when a man walks onto the beach behind them and calls out and says, actually, you know, why don't you cast your net on the other side of the boat? Because I think that's going to be much better. Now, they didn't recognize him as Jesus. They just saw him as a guy who was walking on the beach and asking them questions. Their reaction was really interesting because in today's culture, if that happened to any of, any of us and somebody who we didn't know came along and said, ah, you're making a mistake, that's stupid, don't do that, do this. If you're anything like me, you tell them to go away and you know mind your own business and what do you know about it? But they didn't they listened to this guy and they did precisely what he said they took their nets and threw them over the other side of the boat now being the fishermen they were 
undoubtedly they thought this is the most stupid ludicrous thing ever we know there aren't fish in there it's the wrong wrong side of the boat the water's too deep or the water's too warm whatever it is there's a reason why they weren't fishing there but they caught 153 fish in the one net and it's, it's actually recorded the number and it makes me laugh because there's nothing special about the number it's just the fact that fishermen like any members of the farming community are pretty damn competitive and so the fact is they would have wanted to know precisely how many fish were in the net because the net was splitting at the seams but the story ends with jesus at the shore making a fire and it's as they come back to the shore they recognize who he is but instead of giving them a lecture on their stupidity he says oh, let's just sit down and let's eat some fish together and enjoy each other's company and have community and that is precisely what they did they sat down had community and enjoyed each other's company in space that to me is a story of the kind of hope that we need to walk in because the first part of it is about listening to people and voices that are unfamiliar don't do the same as you've always done be prepared to do things differently and radically differently if you can uh, and that doesn't mean following big names or following celebrities or following great writers or great great thinkers they'll all let you down it's about following that unknown voice and thinking i'm going to try something and it's going to be risky but i want to do it and in doing it and in stepping out you'll get some amazing results it might not be what you expect but you'll get results but the other element is the whole concept of community that we're not doing this alone we are all in this together the climate crisis doesn't just impact you and me it impacts everybody on this planet and therefore it's about when we do things differently sitting as a community with people who are different to us eating the fish together sharing stories enjoying the space and realizing that it's not all a disaster uh, so that's the tension the tension is we know something's wrong so we've got to do it differently we do it differently we can really understand what it means to have community and my gosh is there no more time more important for that than now as we see what is happening between the palestinians and the israelis between the russians and the ukrainians between the republicans and the democrats between the conservatives and labor we live in a profoundly divided world and a lot of those divisions start because we're not listening to the other we're only listening to what is familiar and safe and with climate change with nature loss in the years to come nothing will be familiar nothing will be safe uh, and at the risk of sounding apocalyptic if we don't adopt a different strategy in 50 years time we may as a race not be here to look at different ways of working so we have a once literally in a lifetime opportunity to change the way we do things andy i think that's a perfect place for us to start thank you so much for your time pleasure jack <laughs>